today. Um, I, th- I think about, and I'm going to talk out loud. I'm going to think out loud today. Okay, part of this is really going to be just me thinking out loud. So if you're thinking, well, that didn't seem as connected to the other part as I thought it would be, it's because while I have a pathway that he has given me, in the middle of that pathway, he's reminding me of certain moments in time. In fact, he used some of the team this morning as we were praying before we came out here to remind me of some things that I had taught in times past. And as I look back over the years, 24 years ago, when Kim and I began the Rock of Central Florida um, in our living room in Deltona, and then we began to move out of that, we went to the hotel, we went to the storefront, we went to the theater, we went, uh, what am I missing? I'm missing something. Strang, uh, from Strang, we went in here, uh, moved into the, built a building, moved in here. And as I think about these processes and this time and the seasons that have occurred during these 24 years, I can't help but consider all the different moments that were significant in the life of the rock. Some of you um, have been with us since the very beginning. You've been on this journey with us. You've been a part of this journey since literally the very beginning. Um, So you've been able to watch all of this unfold. And there isn't really much that I'm going to say right now that you, you won't remember. Uh, some of you will think, I never heard that, uh, don't remember any of that. Um, what does that mean? Kinds of, uh, that might be your, your moment, uh, trying to sort out what I might be talking about. But as we were, as I consider the past and some of the things Holy Spirit put in my heart to teach and to, to minister, uh, the journey that he had us on, one of those things that I had taught for quite some time, a series, I don't remember how long it was, but it was a series years ago about sonship. And when I taught that series about sonship, it was really a coming into knowing uh, what the role of being a son in the kingdom of God is. And I believe And really, for me to even say what I'm about to say, for those of you that were not a part of that series, this might not make sense to you. I'm not trying to confuse, but I hope to arouse curiosity in you, uh, allow you to come to a place where you want to know more. Uh, And that is that um, I believe this. I, I believe that part of the challenge in the kingdom of God today, in the church world today, is that there is a lack of sons. There's a lot of believers, but there aren't many sons. There's a lot of people who believe, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ, I've received Jesus Christ, I believe in God, um, I trust Him, but where there is no sonship, is it possible to really fulfill what His passion and desire is for us to fulfill? So when I was teaching this some years ago, there are different schools of thought, people come in, well, you know, there's... Only one Father, and that is, that is God. Well, they get that verse completely messed up. There's only one creating Father, and that is Yahweh God. But in the earth, He has imparted many fathers, many fathers. for many. And I won't get into all of that today, maybe next week when I, or the, in two weeks when I continue this series. Today I want to talk about a specific perspective regarding sons and bring us back to a place where we understand what the power of being a son is. You need to understand that. If you believe you're powerless 
in the kingdom of God and you just take what comes and have no authority over what's going on around you, you have not yet understood or grasped sonship. Sons own. When I say sons, I'm speaking both sons, male and female. I'll address that in a moment with Scripture. But when I say sons, just understand I'm not excluding the women. I'm talking sons spiritually. But I can tell you today, when we come into the understanding of who we are, we can begin to change what's going on around us when we know who we are. It isn't good enough to say I'm a believer. It just isn't good enough. It isn't good enough. It doesn't really change circumstances. It doesn't change the world. It doesn't introduce heaven into earth. And earth it doesn't cause them to become one because we simply say we're a believer. We begin to change things when we understand our position. When we understand that with position there is authority. And with authority there is power. Not the kind of power that is, it shouldn't be, not the kind of power that is destructive, but the kind of power that is creative. Building. Gives life. You tracking with me? So I want to do something off course. Follow along with me this morning on the app. If you've not downloaded the app, I encourage you to do it. Download the Rock of Central Florida app. And, and then if you click on notes, uh, the notes that I'll be using today that I've prepared this week are in there. You can follow along with me. But I'm going to throw something at you that's not in my notes. And I'm going to go to Acts chapter 17, which is a very remarkable uh, uh, chapter in Scripture. 17, Acts 17 and 18. If, if there's ever a time... When someone, anyone, is wondering, why is it sometimes that the church, why is it sometimes that a word, why is it sometimes that a dispensation of time is so challenging to the current time? If there's ever a wondering why that is, you read Acts 17 and 18, it'll help you understand all of it. It'll help you understand that there, there are times that we come into a place where suddenly we understand everything about our moment. And then the Father will shake that up. Because if we understand everything about our moment, we no longer sense the need for Him. I have understanding. Why would I pray? Why would I meditate? Why would I concentrate on Him? Why would I ask Him? I have full understanding. At those, in those times, in those moments, what He does is He comes and He sends someone, some more than one, something, to shake us up and to stir us. Some years ago, my wife and I had the privilege of going, joining uh, some friends of ours, and we went over to, uh, uh, well, we were all over the place, but we were able to go to the Oropagus, which is in Athens, um, and we were there, and when we were there, in Greece, and when we were there, we are standing and looking where Paul began to argue and begin to teach and we saw the little stones that they literally likely stood on uh, to begin to argue points and make points. It is in that place in the Oropagus where Paul recognized, you know, you have a statue of an unknown God. I want to tell you why you, know, you don't know yours. I know mine. And then he begins to uh, really just give them a discourse, a teaching, an education on who the living God is. He begins to pour that out. But in Acts 17, I think one of the most incredible things about it is how he references 
who we are to be in Him. So I want to just read some things in in Acts 17 real quick. Let me begin with verse 16. It says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, the Spirit was provoked within him, as he saw that the city was full of idols. This is not in your notes because this is something he just showed me this morning. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with Paul, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection which was contrary to what they were used to hearing. And they took him and they brought him to the Oropagus, saying, may we know what this teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. And we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Oropagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. I've gathered this. You're stuck. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this is what I would like to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples that are made by man, nor is He served by human hands, as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And He made from one man every nation... And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth and having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. I want to say this about that word, that verse 27. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and then this is what is incredible and find him. This is what I'm looking for, he says. I want people to come to the place where they, yes, they might be hearing strange things, but in the middle of it, instead of dispelling that, instead of putting it off, instead of arguing against it, they will consider it and then begin to feel their way to Him and through it, find Him. My heart and soul is, I believe, similar to Paul, and and it is this that I can encourage people to come to a place where they begin to recognize who they are and they begin to feel their way through it. Feel their way through it by the conviction of Holy Spirit as He says, this is the way, this is not the way. And they feel their way through that until they come into an understanding and they find God. They find not the God of religion. Not the God that is not changing anything. He doesn't change, but He changes things. Not the God that has lost His creativity. Not the God that requires us to do the same sacraments every single Sunday. But the God that says, even what you don't know is within me. And that that is within me, I would like for you to come into me and explore. This isn't the religion of our ancestors. This isn't the religion of our days gone by. This isn't the religions that are defined by denominations and and whatever else might be out there. The Catholics don't have it all. 
The Pentecostals don't have it all. The Baptists don't have it all. The non-denominationals don't have it all. You know who has it all? Yahweh God. And if we're looking to the Catholics to sort it all out for us, or the Baptists to sort it all out for us, or the Pentecostals, or Steve Parker, we're going to come up short. But if we will come into the Father, feel our way, find our way, trust Holy Spirit, and we find our way into Him, He says, you will find me. You will know me. And you will know that I'm bigger than that thing that you allowed, you accounted yourself to. I'm bigger than all the books that they have that say this is what we believe and this is what we don't. I'm bigger than that. Oh, Steve, you come to us with strange things. But I love what the Athenians said. Though you come to us with things that are strange to our, our ears, yet we desire to understand. In the church world today, when they hear something strange, they immediately throw up their fingers and crisscross them and hold it out like, get away from me, devil. But when the Father uses someone or something or moments in time to come to you and to begin to express Himself in a way that might seem strange, my prayer is that we have that same spirit of the Athenians in this way. Even what I don't understand, help me to understand. At least I want you to know that I'm willing to hear and I'm willing to consider what it is you're bringing to me. And then if I can consider it, then I can accept whether it will bring change to me. The choice should never be about whether or not we listen. The only choice we should have is whether or not we enter into. Do you understand what I'm saying? We should listen as though we have no choice but. You need to hear me this morning. Wait, this is a strange thing. We need to listen as though we have no choice but. And then upon what we've listened to and heard, then we can make a decision for ourselves. Will I walk in this or will I not? Just like they did. But what a tremendous story for Paul to stand. And I imagine when I stood, Kim and I were there, and I even stood on a couple of these. It may be true that those are just, I don't know, you know, replicas or whatever, because the true ones are probably 15 feet under the soil that has accumulated in all these eons, but they're millennia. But I can tell you I stood on that thing as though I were Paul. And I thought to myself, and my wife would agree, I thought to myself, I would be willing, because I know me, I would be willing to stand on that stone and say, let me teach you some strange things. Strange to you, but not strange to me. Let me talk to you about what you don't know. Even though what you don't know, you think you know well. But even that inscription about the unknown God, You think you know who the God is, and yet the inscription itself defies your statement because it says He's unknown. Let me talk to you about that. I want to talk to you today about something that I've not talked about in a long time, and I want to begin with this perspective. The earth doesn't need more religion. The earth 
doesn't need more people making sure that they're crossing every T and dotting every I, keeping every rule within the church. The church, the world, needs people with relationship with Jesus Christ. The church needs for the sons of God to rise up. It is time for the sons of God to rise up. Stop being invisible. We have opportunity, you and me. We have opportunity to do something that generations before us, generations among us, have not been able to do or have been unwilling to do. Let's talk about it this morning. So the world is changing generation to generation, and there's an exponential increase in selfishness. When you look around you, this is what I'm telling you right now is you know to be true. There's an exponential increase in selfishness, arrogance, complacency, and defiance with each successive generation. Each generation that is applied, comes into being, becomes more about self, less about the kingdom of God. Becomes all of these things that I shared. So how do these moments with each successive generation having these particular qualities or whatever you want to call it, attributes, how does this impact the kingdom of God and what effect does the falling away of each generation have on the ownership of the earth? I think you understand and you would agree with me that much of the earth today with, again, each successive generation that becomes more and more selfish, more about them, less about the things that honor God, and more about self. It would be hard to disagree with this point. The more we become about self, the further away this earth is getting from the purpose of God. Just track with me. So what effect does the falling away of each generation have on the ownership of the earth and does it matter? Does it matter that with each successive generation more of, more of what was once unrighteous is now included and tried and it, there's an a, a, a aggressive attempt to insert what is unrighteous into it? Now, I realize that under the sound of my voice, again, some of these things that you might hear might not be strange, but might not be agreeable to you. I don't care. Because it's the truth. I wish there was a way that I could say, you know what, we're just going to do this. We're just going to be, um, we're just going to accept everything. Whatever anybody wants to be, whoever they want to be. Whatever they want to call themselves, we're just going to accept it all. But I can tell you, while we might do that, I can tell you that God doesn't do that. Yahweh doesn't say, I'm going to take you, whoever you are, whatever condition you are, I'm going to do it. He'll receive you as His creation, but He will not receive the sin that comes with it into Himself. Does anybody hear me today? But with each generation... Each one becomes more and more agreeable to things that the Father is not pleased with. Well, and if you can't accept this, then you are, you're just, what's the word, intolerant. You're just old school. You're just whatever. But at the end of the day, when we as a people 
position ourselves to hear and obey His voice and to trust Him, and He begins to change us, and we recognize who we really are in Him, we don't get to choose what makes Him happy or sad. We don't get to choose what is a blessing and what is a cursing. He's already decided that. It's up to you and me to live a life that reflects that. Is anybody hearing me this morning? So does it matter? Yes, it matters to Yahweh. Does Yahweh have a plan? Yes, He does. And that same, it's the same plan it's always been, and that is sons. How do we counter this thing? I look around, just like you do. And I look around the earth, I look around the world, I watch television, I see the news, I read it, I see all of these things, and as I watch and I observe these things, I'm, I, you cannot help but ignore, or help but recognize the fact that, man, there is sin and unrighteousness all around us. And let me not even define it as sin and unrighteousness. Let me just define it as a dishonoring of God. That way, somebody that says, well, I don't think that's sin. I don't think that's unrighteous. Well, let me ask it differently. Does it honor God? Does it honor what He created us for? Then call it what you want. But if it dishonors Him... It doesn't need to be a part of who we are. See, sons, without sons, the next generation, it is impossible to create another generation filled with purpose. See, the earth is reflected in the heavens. The heavens are reflected in the earth is probably the right way to say it, in this sense. There is not a second generation without the first generation producing something. There's not a third generation without the second generation producing something. There is not a fourth generation without the third generation producing something. There is not a fifth generation without the fourth generation producing something. You, you got me now, right? Now what happens is, consider, if I read the Old Testament, and, and just stay with me, but if I read in the First Testament, and you see this reference, and you see this reverence, and the honoring of the generations before them, my father was, and his father was, and his father was, and his father was, and they would go back generations. His father. And today I am who I am because my father's 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 father was this, and he did this. And I am who I am today because that father passed it to his son, to his son, to his son, to his son, and right on down the line. And today I am who I am because that was passed from generation to generation. What I can tell you in the church world today, we have a lot of orphans and not enough sons. A lot of orphans, not enough sons. I think part of the reason that Christ admitted, uh, <clears throat> told us we need to minister, and I'm paraphrasing, but told us we need to minister to the widow and the orphan, let me focus on the orphan, but need to minister to the orphan is because if you don't, they have no hope. If you don't get in the orphan's face, what chance do they have of producing a greater generation after them? An orphan will produce an orphan if the orphan never becomes a son. 
Well, how does an orphan become a son if the orphan doesn't have, have a father? It's a good point, right? You know, quickly, when I was born, I was thankful that um, even though in my birth I was, uh, did not know my biological father until I was 18, 19, right at almost 19 years old when I first met my biological father, but I was never an orphan. I was never an orphan because there was a man that decided when I was born that he was going to raise me no matter what. Even though that boy is not mine, I'm not going to let that boy grow up without a man speaking into his life, or in his, someone speaking into his life, in his case a man, speaking into his life that will help him become something greater than he would be if there was no one speaking into his life. And I'm thankful for that man that took me and, re- and raised me as though I were his own for all of those years. And I can tell you, the man who, birth- who, gave birth- who naturally gave birth to me never was my father. But the man who took me in and raised me didn't allow me to be an orphan. That man, in every sense of the word, was my father, my daddy, my mentor, he was all of those things to me. So there is a rising up of sons in the earth. It is a people who are students. Listen to me. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. It's a people who are students and teachers at the same time. Sons don't always have to be teachers. They always understand no matter how old we are, we're still students. They're sergeants and captains at the same time. They're under command and they command at the same time. They're at peace and yet comfortable at war at the same time. And they can be quiet and earth shattering with their voice at the same time. So what is a son and how does one become one? Let's talk about that for a minute. So everyone in here knows what it's like to know someone who is absolutely adamant in their understanding about whatever it is. We all know someone who is, there's just, you can't talk to them. They're just, it's just impossible. You know they're not doing the right thing. You know they're not going in the right direction. I mean, anybody that's a parent in here knows exactly what I'm talking about. But we know somebody, whether you're a parent or whether you're a co-worker or whether you're whoever you, wherever you're at, we all have known at least one or two people. It's just impossible to help someone understand. You know they're going in the wrong direction. It is absolutely impossible to help them understand. You want to help them, everything in you, you want to help them. That's your heart. It can be frustrating. It's very difficult. We do that maybe with one or two people that we come into in our lifetime or during a season that's one or two people that we're trying to navigate and help them and we go home at night and we're just thinking, how, how can I make it clear to them? What can I do tomorrow? If we're going to lunch tomorrow, what can I say tomorrow that will help them understand that there's, there's a better way? And we get frustrated and we get all of these things. We do that maybe with one or two people in a season. Consider this. Consider what it must have been like for the disciples. Like Paul, well, Paul wasn't a disciple, but like what he was, but like Paul the apostle, and all the disciples who were coming in with a brand new message. Coming into a system that was already established, had been established for millennia. Coming into a system 
that found its strength and how many doves they killed or bulls or heifers, how much blood they sprinkled. And they came into this and they're trying to teach something that no one's ever heard. But they were relentless. Let's read some scriptures today about sons and then let me move forward. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, or we are sons of God. Let me read it again. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So what am I saying by that? Let me just say this. This is no condemnation. But if you're in this room right now and the Spirit of God in you does not bear witness that you are a son, you don't know, today is opportunity for change. Galatians 4, 6. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are... All right, let me read that one again. For all who are led... I think the key word here, led by the Spirit of God, are the... All who are led. Now, somebody might say, well, you know what, I go to church every Sunday, but you're not led anywhere. You lead yourself. You trust your own way. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Galatians 3.26, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. John 1.12, But to all who did receive Him... Who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children or sons of God. He gave them the right to. He gave them the right to. He gave them the right to. to, What does that mean? Choice. Choice. To all who have received Him, He gave them the right to. Just because you receive Him doesn't make you a son. So to anyone believing, well, I gave my heart to Jesus on Saturday, that means I'm going to live like hell the rest of my life and and I'm a son. To all who have received Him, he He gave them the right to... Say it again. Say, He gave them the right to? Become. To? Become. become. That's, my, that's my key, as Shaviv was reminding me of this morning. My key is, I've received Christ, now I have the right to open this door and become a son. Well, it doesn't do us any good if we don't know how to become a son. Preacher, you stand up there all day long. You can tell us all day long that we're supposed to become sons, but if you don't tell me how to become a son, then I'm going to be standing outside this door with a key in my hand and not know how to get in. 2 Corinthians, we'll get there. 2 Corinthians 6.18, And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. You will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. I will be a father to you. You will be be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now I want to do something this morning. I want to jump right into something. We're going to go a little deeper. I'm going to read all of Malachi 1. Just bear with me. Malachi chapter 1. I'm going somewhere with this today because in two weeks when I 
continue on this path of what it is to be a son, it is important to me. What I don't want to do is I don't want the rock to be responsible for perpetuating orphans, an orphan system. I do realize that there's people, I, I don't want, I'm not saying this prophetically, but I do realize people that aren't interested. They aren't interested in growing. They aren't interested in the becoming part. It's the becoming part that people run from. Because to become requires something of us. Isn't that true? It's easy to say I am something, but I haven't become it yet. I haven't become something yet. It's one thing to put a label on my forehead. It's one, another thing to take that label off and I still look like that. I didn't need a label to show it. If the label's necessary, I haven't become yet. So the oracle of the work of the Lord to Israel by Malachi is this. He said, I've loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Now, as I read through this, you're going to hear some things that um, you're probably going to have some questions. Let me explain the parts for today's purpose. Let me explain the parts. It's important to read it all because I need it in context. But I'm going to focus on a few of the parts that are applicable to what we're talking about today. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi is this, I've loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I've loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. Let me move on. I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I'm going to tear it down. I got to stop. I keep pausing because I want to, I'm not, okay, let me just read. Steve, read, read, just read. They may build, but I will tear down and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then, Yahweh says, I am a father, Somebody tell me, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name? But you say, but how have we despised your name? Because you've offered polluted food upon my altar. You say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Then give it to your governor and see whether or not he'll receive it, says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, he will show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name. And a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted, and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. 
You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering? Shall I accept that from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations." What in the world does Malachi have to do with being sons? Because everything we need to know about being a son, we will find in Malachi 1 and 2. Everything we need to know about being a son. I want to refer back to verse 6, and he says this. He said, a son, everybody say this with me, a son, a son honors, his father, honors his father and a servant, and a servant his, master. his master. Let me read just the first part of it again. He said, a son, say it with me, a son... Honors his father. What he is doing right there is he is prepping what's about to go on. He's about to explain, let me tell you how you don't honor me. You offer your profane offerings. You despise my table. In other words, you look at what's set before you and you think, you know, I don't have time for that. You know... It might be important to God. It might be important to Him. But you know what, Yahweh? It it's really just takes too much of my time. You know, let me just give you the easiest thing. Let me just give you the easiest part of me that really doesn't cost me anything. Let me just bring to you the parts that I think look the most like you, but the other parts I'm, just, I'm not even going to worry about. Is anybody hearing me this morning? When we come before Him and He says... Why are you profaning? Why are you despising me? Why are you despising my table? How have we done that, Father? Because you, you bring to me what's easy. You bring to me what didn't cost you anything. When's the last time you rose up early because I spoke to you in the night and you didn't chalk it off as bad pizza? But you rose up and you said, Father... I hear your voice, or if you didn't even know it was Him, you went to someone who knew God, and you said to them, I heard a voice in the night, were you calling me? No, I'm not calling you, I want you to go to bed again, I want you to listen again, and I want you to hear His voice. Because the Father's calling you when I was a little boy. I was 16 years old. I've told this before, some of you know it, some of you don't, but I was a little boy, and I did not have relationship with Yahweh at all, at all. And I, But I was a boy, and I knew about Christ, I knew that... At least I, I, I thought I knew that he loved me and, and all of these things. And, and I was, had a dream. And I was in the middle, it was in the middle of the night and I'm dreaming. And, and in the dream, um, I see this image coming towards me. This is all a dream. I'm sleeping. And I'm laying there and I see this image, this, this bright image moving towards me in the dream with the hands out calling my name, Steve. Steve, and he's getting louder as this image comes toward. I didn't see a face, didn't see that. But I see this bright image coming, bright image coming at me. Steve, Steve. And I could see, as it were, hands that were held out bidding me come. And the voice was getting louder and louder the closer it got to me. And I, in my dream, I'm standing in this very dark place and I'm just staring at this moment, this image in my mind processing, knowing in my dream that this image was bidding me to join him. But I did not. And then after a few moments, that image began to move away, and I could hear it as though it was, I was watching a movie, and he was calling out, the image was calling out my name, Steve, 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 and it was getting further, Steve, 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 until it was gone. And I woke up sobbing, just sobbing, 
or I was sobbing in my dream, and I was actually sobbing in real life. And my dad came in the room. It was early in the morning. He had gotten home from work. It was about he get, he worked third shift, whatever time that was. And all I remember is my dad coming in there, and he's he shakes me and he wakes me up and he says, "What's wrong with you? Are you okay?" And I said, I don't know, I just had this, it was just a bad dream. And he said, tell me, what was your dream? My dad believed God, my dad trusted God, he loved God. And he said, what was your dream? And I told him the dream, and he said, son, he's bidding you come, he's trying to get your attention. I need you to pay attention, son, I want you, you need to give your heart to Christ. I didn't, for almost four more years. But I've never forgotten that, that bidding... That there was a call that was saying, Steve, what you've, you keep coming and you keep standing before me. You're standing among the assembly of believers. And yet you're not a believer. And in moments in your time, you've got these, these points where, where I've spoken to you and I've, and I've given you opportunity to demonstrate something. I remember is I was probably 10 or 11 years old. I don't remember how old I was. I was little, but I remember the church, and, and I was sitting in the pew, and there was a preacher that was there, uh, it was in a, a revival, I don't remember his name, but there was a, a, a preacher preaching, and I'm with my father again, and as I'm sitting in that pew, first of all, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be there because I'm not digging all this stuff. I didn't want any part of it. And I'm sitting in that pew, and there's a, this preacher's praying for people. There's people that are falling out. They're, they're praying in tongues. There's just a lot of weird stuff for me happening right then. And my dad grabs my hand, and he said, come with me. I'm little. And I don't know what it was. What do you mean, come with you? He grabs my hand, and he starts walking towards the front of this church, holding my hand. And I said, Dad, what are you doing? Where are we going? And he said, I want you just to touch one of these people. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm terrified. Because I see what's happening in the front of this church. This is a true story though. But I'm terrified. My dad said, just touch one of these people. So he leads me up there and there's some person on, kneeling down. And they're praying, their hands are lifted up and they're praying. They're crying, they're sobbing. And dad said, touch them. Now to me, it was weird. This is really weird. But I did, because it was my dad and I knew that that was the right thing to do. <laughs> so I reached out and I touched that person. When I touched, all I did was touch them. They didn't even know I was about to. I touched that person and what I remember, it was as though two fists came in and just pounded my chest. Suddenly I felt this overwhelming sense of the presence of God. And I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. Didn't receive. Didn't change my life. But again, this is a moment. That's maybe the first one where God came and said, I'm trying to get your attention, son. Don't despise my table. Don't miss my moment, son. I was a kid. And I'm crying when I was through crying or whenever I was allowed. I got up and we left. We went home and I went about doing whatever I was doing before. Not believing. Not trusting. And then time goes on and I come to Christ. When I come to Christ and then 
through a process of time, I begin to understand through the teaching of F. Nolan Ball, I begin to understand what sons and sonship is. And things begin to make sense. And I realized that for so many years, I had been bringing to the Lord what is contemptible. For three and a half years when I would preach meetings and my wife and I were traveling and we were, we were all up and down the East Coast every single Sunday, every week. We were in a different church somewhere up and down the East Coast for three and a half years. And that whole time, we're, we're going to these places and we're preaching and we're teaching. I never thought twice about, I'm, oh, let's see, I got this message from, you know, six months ago. This is a really good one. You know, it really did good at that church. I'm going to preach it again. Didn't even think twice about it, but I was bringing, I was despising the table of God. Because it was easy. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying today. I kept bringing the same thing that I'd always done, and I kept bringing it to him saying, do you still like it? Am I still passing? As long as I'm passing, I just want to pass. Just C grade. Anybody hearing what I'm saying today? Now, I'm, not, I'm going to ask the question. I'm not asking for anybody to agree, but how many in here are okay with a C grade? A C grade. Average. C grade. Like A, uh, A, you know, A, B, C, D, F. No, why did I skip E? Are we happy with a C grade? Man, I was. Hey. You good with this, God? Because, man, if I give you anything else, it's going to cost, you know, I'm going to have to dig in. And, I, you know, I just really don't, I don't really have time to dig. You know, my world's busy, so, you know, I'm a newlywed. I barely have time for my wife, let alone have time for you. He's not asking. He never asked me. Never asked me to to take away from my wife to give to him. What he asked me was, if you both include me in you? Mm. You know the food on the table is good. So back to verse 6, he says this, he says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. A son, a son honors his father. What does it mean to be a son today? It means honor. How do we honor? Malachi 1 makes it really clear. We do not honor because... We find the easy path. Remember some time ago I talked about stepping over easy. I used to tell my kids that all the time when they were growing up. Step over easy. If it's easy, it wasn't for you. If it's easy, it's for the guy that's satisfied with a C grade. You're going for the A. You're not trying to achieve. You're trying to excel. So for sons to rise up, because the Father's calling out, we read it a moment ago, for the sons to rise up, right? For the sons to rise up, it begins with what? It begins with honor. How do we honor? Honor begins in the smallest ways, but shows up in every way like as a legacy. There are people today that I don't really particularly care for in the natural. The Adam in me doesn't really care for them. The Christ in me loves them. 
you, you laugh as though you laugh because they're in your life too. <clears throat> but there are people in my life that would fit into that category that I honor. Not because I like them, but because it's right. Even if I don't personally like them, Yahweh does. You hearing me today? So honor begins in the smallest ways. It shows up as a legacy. And honor, say this with me, honor, honor. is always a choice. In fact, too often we choose not to honor because we're too afraid of elevating something. And in our fear of elevating something, because we're afraid something's going to get a big head or something's going to be made bigger than it should be, in our fear of elevating something, we lose out on the opportunity to demonstrate sonship. When we honor our fear, true honor is not worrying about whether or not that that is being honored is going to get be uh, over-exaggerated or get a big head or whatever it is. True honor isn't worrying about that. True honor is honoring because I'm a son. No other qualification. I'm not honoring because... No, I'm honoring because God honors. Even in my lack of understanding, I'm honoring. So honor begins in the smallest ways. Let me point out some that are very tangible, very practical. Prefer your wife. You know, one of the things that I probably need to go back and, and, and correct, but I used to teach my kids, and this is a good lesson for me right now, but I used to teach my kids when we'd go out to a restaurant, I always made sure my wife ordered first. Always. 100% of the time when they were growing up. And then thing, life happens and someone just says, I'll take, or I'm ready. Even if sitting at the table, just hear me now. Just sitting at a, dining, a restaurant table or a dining room table or whatever, wherever you're at, someone's taking your order. This is just a practical thing. And the, and the host or hostess comes to take the order. Honor is recognizing those who have gone before you. Boy, that's lost in this generation. Honor is recognizing those who have paid a price that you haven't yet paid. Honor is saying, I might be ready, but we're not ordering until she does, or he does. Do you hear me today? Prefer your wife. Prefer, prefer elders. Serve others. Use words that reflect the good in others. Honor like God honors. A son honors his father. I want to honor my father. How many want to honor the father today? I want to be a son, and I'm going to do that because I'm going to honor you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use words that, that honor others. Not tear down, but build up. And I'm going to prefer the father. I prefer you above all things. And then I'm going to celebrate opportunities that I have to honor. See... He said a son honors his father. And he's telling them in this case, he's dealing with priests. But we're all priests today. 
And he's saying, listen, this is the problem. A son honors his father, but you don't do that. You're not honoring me. You go about your daily thing, you go about everything that you're doing, and you're not considering whether or not I'm honored by it. You take credit for things that I actually do in your life. You think it's because of your intellect. You think it's because of all the school you've gotten. You think it's because of all these other things. But he said, I want you to, you need to recognize me in it. You're hearing me this morning. Sons honor the Father because we are not afraid to acknowledge He is my God and there is not another. Sons honor the Father because when they look at others who are worshiping something that has an inscription that says to the unknown God, we can say to them, you don't know who your God is. I just want you to know I do. I know who mine is and I'm not ashamed. And I don't know how deep this is or how this reflects so much in where we're at today, but I'm a, I'm a football fan. I love football. I love the NFL. I love, I, love any, any, I love sports, except for baseball. It's like watching grass grow, but I love sports. <laughs> but I've noticed lately that there has been a lot of NFL and college players specifically that are quick to give glory to the Father. I've heard them right. One in particular that is probably the most outspoken in football right now is Brock Purdy with the San Francisco 49ers. The most outspoken about his faith. In the same, in a similar sense as Tim Tebow was when he was there as well. In fact, I'm becoming a San Francisco 49ers fan, not because of anyone else, because there's other people on there that embarrass me. But Brock Purdy. If I can be proud of somebody who stands up and says, listen, I wouldn't be doing any of this if it wasn't for the Father. And then he said just a couple of weeks ago, he made it very clear, he was in an ESPN interview, and, he, and I'm paraphrasing, but he made it very clear in an ESPN interview, and he said, I'm going to tell you, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, and I have never backed up, and I will never back up, and there's nothing the NFL will ever ask of me that will cause me to back up. I trust Him, I trust Christ, I've received Christ, and I, that's what I'm going to do. He made it very clear because they were asking about his faith. Because they always do. See, they come at your faith. Well, are, are you, do you really have faith or is that just one of those things you say? See, sons. Everybody say true sons. True sons. That's, you don't have to say anything else. True sons do not rise up with arms and arguments and picket signs or voting booths. They rise up in honor. Choosing to rejoice in opportunities to be honorable and to give honor. Looking for the moments. Father, how can I honor you? Let it not be said of me that I have come to the table with, this, with that that is despised. But I bring to you my very best in my thoughts, in my choices. I'm bringing to you my very best. And in the times when I come up short, I'm laying it down at your feet and I'm saying, I repent, forgive me. Let it be said of me, the next time I come to your table, I bring to you the very best of whatever it is that you have allowed me to have. Let it be said of me, Father, that I'm not trying to find shortcuts. Let it be said of me that I peruse my entire flock. I've got a, a huge flock, all this to my possession, and I'm going through each one, and I'm going to find the very best. And I'm not going to think begrudgingly, oh, this thing, oh, I really... I, mm. I really wish I didn't have to give this one because, man, it took me a long time to get this. 
But let me come to that thing and say, I give freely and I give this willingly. This part of me, Father, it belongs to you and nobody else. Sons honor. Sons position themselves to hear the preceding word of God. What are you saying today? What are you saying to me today? It's time for sons of God to rise up. We've been hidden. Sons have been hidden way, way too long. But you know why we hide? Sons hide. You know why they hide? They hide because when they look at the enemy, he looks bigger than them. When they look at what's going on around there, he, gets, he just looks big. A little bit of Gideon stuff going on. He just looks big. A man, or many. They're too big. They're too many for us. And the father says, no. Do you know whose son you are? Do you know whose son you are? Do you know who you belong to? Because see, you're not just a son because you say you're a son. You're a son because you honor. And when you honor, I empower you. You're empowered. Empowered with what? Holy Spirit. Faith. The hand of God moving constantly in your life. Stirring, raising you up. When all you want to do is bow down. As suns rise up in the earth today, every argument that questions the validity of the kingdom of God will fall dead to the ground. As the sons of God rise up, every argument, all the people that say, you know, this kingdom of God thing, you know, that's just a bygone era. Science has disproven this and disproven that, and, you know, science is so much more important. I love science. Love it. I'm all for it. Up until it gets to the place where it thinks it's more powerful than God. God does not exist because science has an understanding. Science exists because God chose to let it. But man, when we, Josh, position ourselves, say, Father, I choose to honor you with everything that I am every single part of my life. And out of that, this son won't have to rise up because I choose to, but will be raised up because he chooses to raise me up. We don't get up in the morning, say I'm going to rise up as a son today. We get up and we honor and the father says, I'm raising him up. I'm raising her up. I think the nature, I'm going to wrap this up, but I think the nature of the church world is 
that there's this sense that you know, I'm not, never mind. I, I don't want to confuse what he's already said. But we, you and me, we have opportunity. Amen. Stephanie, he's saying, sons, it's time to shine. You're not an orphan. Okay. Jensen, yeah. you're not an orphan. Okay. Shonda, you're not an orphan. Jamie, you're not an orphan. Rick, you're not an orphan. You're not an orphan. You were not born to be an orphan. Jennifer, you're not an orphan. Zeb, you're not an orphan. Tamara, you're not an orphan. Alicia, you're not an orphan. Haley, you are not an orphan. You are called to be a son. If we receive Him, he has given us the choice to become the sons of God. If we receive Him, Dwayne, He's given us the choice not to settle. We can choose that. But what He wants us to choose is to become Sons of God, how do I become? Let's start with honor. So do we walk out suddenly today? Service is over. We, we're going to eat lunch and going with our families or wherever we go. Do we go out and we suddenly we say, I did it. I chose today to be one who honors. Now I'm a son. Or do we go out and we find ways? Remember he said, you find me? Feel through the process and you'll find me. And we find ways. Simplest of ways. I don't know what it means to you, but whatever He shows to you. But I can tell you, sitting at a table, the very simple, practical things I gave you. Babe, you're the matriarch. Order first. I'm the patriarch. I'll order after you today, before these kids. Kids, you need to know where you fall in the line of honor. It isn't a bad thing. In fact, it's a glorious thing for a child to be able to say, there is no way I'm ordering before my mom and dad. Are you kidding? I'm going to lose out on an opportunity to demonstrate that I understand what sonship is. Husbands, honor your wives. Open the door because what you do to her and do unto her, you're doing unto the Father. Gentlemen, 
Very practical ways. Honor the Father. Don't go through a door and let it slam on that lady's face behind you or whomever's face it might be behind you. Hold the door. Is anybody hearing me in this place this morning? I got a feeling that some keys are really being... I hear keys jingling. of sons. Sons rise up. We become that as we begin to say, Father, I'm going to honor you and I'm going to honor you by honoring those things that you have set before me. And I will not bring to you again another thing that cost me nothing. I'm going to make sure that what I bring to you is my very best. Doesn't matter how tired I am, doesn't matter what's going on, I'm bringing to you my very best. This table of yours is not contemptible. I cannot decide for myself what's a blessing for you. You've already decided that. Is anybody hearing me today? Stand with me if you would please this morning. So I'm absolutely certain that in this room today there are people who have not... uh, Well, let me just say... As I've taught this morning, you recognize and you believe. Let me start this way. I know that there are people sometimes that do not give opportunity to have, whether it be me or someone else, lay hands on you and pray in agreement with you. I know that there are people, because you're concerned about what other people might think. I want to tell you today, we need to get past that. We need to honor not what we feel about what people think, but we need to honor what we know about what the Father thinks. What does the Father know about us? We need to honor Him. Honor Him.